All right. Good morning. Yeah, yeah. I'm long-winded. That's for sure. Um, we're going to do our, our, our presentation. We're going to start off with that. Uh, I just want to say thanks for having us. Um, and uh, we are the Sheffield family. My name is Tommy. Uh, my wife is Amber, and I have four children, Kaysen, Olivia, Ella, and Avonlea. Um, that is our crew. Uh, that is our front yard in September in South Dakota. Yeah, I lived, I have lived in this area my entire life until July when we moved up there. Yeah, I'm a Floridian. I get cold at 75 degrees. I, I get up every morning and the house is like 65 because, you know, when it's negative 20, that's about all you're going to heat your house up to. And uh, have to put on like shoes and wool socks and jackets and all this stuff just to walk around my house. Um, yeah, that, that's where we're at now. And God sent us there, and, and he really did. We, it is brand new for us dealing with the cold. That picture is us going, what is all this cold white stuff? What is happening? And it's not something we ever thought we would, where, where we ever thought we would be. I grew up here. My wife grew up in Kansas, so she's had some experience with a little bit of weather. Not negative 20, but a little bit of weather. Um, but she grew up in church. We both grew up in church, grew up in youth groups, had, had that opportunity. And, uh, and then we went to Trinity Baptist College. That's where we met. Uh, and I graduated there with a pastor, pastoral theology degree um, and uh, started in youth ministry. And, and just even how I got into youth ministry is a little crazy because I was going to be a children's pastor at Lighthouse. And the youth pastor said, hey, well, God's calling us to Georgia. And so I got a phone call and said, hey, you want to be the youth pastor too? No training, no planning, no, no idea in, in going into youth ministry, and that's what started us. And now we're at a point where I'm going to be uh, 75 years old and still doing youth ministry. Because it's, it's just our, it's our heartbeat. It, it is who we are. And um, <laughs> I think in Sunday school, uh, Pastor Dale mentioned he's not fun anymore. Um, <laughs> you do reach a point where you're like, man, I, I can't do the wild and crazy all-nighters and stuff anymore uh, and be the life of the party, what does youth ministry look like? And that kind of started us on a journey. If you go to the next slide, we did all the fun, crazy stuff in youth ministry. We had a good time um, and loved it. And it was wild and it was awesome. We got a bunch of kids to come. And somewhere along the lines, we said, you know what? Am I actually making disciples? Or are we just having a great turnout? At one point, we had more in, in youth group than we did in, the, in the, the Wednesday night church service, so we got to steal the auditorium for the adults. We were rocking it, yeah. But are we making disciples? And that's what we have to ask ourselves, and I really believe there needs to be a revival in youth ministry because so much is geared towards let's have fun, and, and if it's fun enough, then enough people will want to be there. But one of the adages that we say is, is whatever you got them there with is what you keep them with. And so you got to keep going bigger and badder with the fun. But how does that impact us? How does that impact our lives? 
what does that actually do to make disciples? And so God started working on our hearts, and we, we started mentoring uh, youth pastors. If you go to the next slide. Um, and then in the summer of 2019, we went on a missions trip to South Dakota uh, to visit one of our missionaries who does free kids camps. And so we got to go, and, and this is a group we went with, and we had a great time doing that. Um, and if you go to the next slide, while we were there, we spent a lot of time with teenagers. They latched onto us. We went to go see uh, Mount Rushmore. They went to go see Mount Rushmore with us. And so I started asking questions because that's what I do. And I said, all right, what's going on in youth ministry in South Dakota? And the pastor there said nothing. And I, I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. And he said, nothing is going on. He's like, there's churches, but there aren't youth ministries, spe specific youth ministries. And God got all over me on that. Because I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I understand. I'm a youth pastor. I understand the importance of youth ministry. I understand the way youth ministry needs to be done so that these kids grab hold of it and, it, and it's life-changing. And they're going out and reaching the world for Christ. I understand that. Who is teaching them? And it broke me. And I, and I, I spent days just going, man, it kept me up at night. I'm like, who's going to reach these students? And, and God kept saying, why not you? And I was like, but it's cold. He said, why not you? But I'm a Florida boy. Why not you? I don't understand the culture out here. Why not you? And if you go to the next slide, God said, why not us? So I went to my wife and I about halfway through the missions trip and said, hey, honey, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think we're supposed to move to what I consider the great white north in South Dakota. And she said, yep. I was like, well, hold, hold, hold up. You're not surprised. You're not shocked. You're not like, what? Why South Dakota? She's like, no, I've known since we started planning this thing that this was going to be something for our family. So when we told the pastor there, hey, we're thinking about this, and I'm like trying to figure out what it looks like, and he's like, okay, well, is your wife on board? And he said, Amber, how do you feel about that? She's like, I'm in. I'm just waiting for him to catch up. And God said, no, this is where you're going. And I've always said, as a youth pastor, I grew up in church. I've seen how things work. I've said, God, I don't know that I, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do. That has been my, my message, my thought I, I, for, for since I was 17 years old and God broke me. Because I was that kid in youth group that you had to always make sure you knew where he was. The, the ADHD kid that's running all around in circles and you never know quite what he's going to do at any moment you got to have your youth pastor radar. There's always one, right? And nobody would have expected me to be a youth pastor. And now here I am going, I don't know that if I could ever be a, uh, a, a missionary. And God said, why not you? Why not you? That, that town in the background is Custer. It's where we live. We don't live in town. We live outside of town, but... God called us to do something. He called us to those teenagers. So if you go to the next slide. Uh, when we think of missions, and, and this is the start of your missions month, and we think of worldwide missions, there are people all over the world that need Christ. There are, and I said my heart is, is uh, youth, there are 2.3 billion youth in the world that need Christ. 2.3 billion. How are we reaching them? 
Well, right now in America, our model is to send missionaries out to help people, right, into other countries. But the reality is if we don't reach the next generation for Christ here, then we aren't going to have any missionaries to send out. So we look at America. If you go to the next slide. I always highlight South Dakota because people are always like, where is that again? Because once you get up into that part of the world, everybody's like, it's so cold up there, no one cares. Um, <laughs> so that is South Dakota in the red. There are 25 million young people, teenagers roughly, in America. That's our next generation. And so as I started doing research, I realized uh, one of the things I learned was one in five of that 25 million live in rural communities where they don't really have youth ministries. Rural communities. One in five. That's five million students. And, and because they don't have a community large enough to, to support large churches that can hire youth ministers, which is kind of our method of, of youth ministry right now in America, they don't have a lot going on for the students. So, so, so what do we do? And that, that is where, if you, if you go to the, the next slide, that is something that, that really God just broke my heart on. If you look at the green star there, that's about in South Dakota where we live. We're about an hour from Wyoming and about an hour and a half from Nebraska. We're in the Black Hills. If you've ever been to that area, we're about 15 minutes from uh, the Mount Rushmore, the heads. That's, that's, that's our part of the world. That's where, that's where we're, we're home-based. But... In, in doing research, when, when I think of rural, I think of Northport and Port Charlotte as small towns. That's just, I've been in Northport long enough that there were, you know, 15, 20,000 people, whatever, back in the day, right? Some of y'all have been here longer than that. I think of that as a small town. There are 148 towns just in South Dakota that are less than 1,000 people. There are churches larger than that. Less than 1,000 people. Custer is the county seat of Custer County. There are 2,000 people in Custer. There are 8,000 people in the entire county of Custer. The entire county, 8,000 people. For reference, there's about 8,000 people that live in Arcadia. When I say rural, I mean very, very small. Port Charlotte would be the third largest city in all of South Dakota. So when we talk about resources and, 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 and what it looks like, it looks very different. If you go to the next slide, youth ministry in South Dakota looks very, very different. The picture on the right is us on the top of a mountain at like 7,300 feet having a Bible study. I got kids in my youth group that do rodeo. They come in talking about stuff they did at the farm, and I'm like, What? That's a thing? They told us, get this, they told us, hey, this is going to be awesome. Next calving season, we're going to have you come out and help us do the branding and stuff. Cowboy Tommy, right? <laughs> Can you just picture it? <laughs> no, not even a little bit. My wife just started laughing. She's like, <laughs> I was like, sure, we'll try it. Why not? I'll get out there with you. Probably isn't going to go well, but that's probably why you're inviting me, so you can laugh, so whatever. It looks different. It's small. If you go to the next slide, when we, we started a youth group, and we had kids driving an hour to come to youth group. We had kids uh, that, that, that showed up that were like, hey, I go to a church in town, and I'm the only student. 
we don't have, so we don't have a youth ministry. Who's going to help them? Who's going to teach them? And, and the reality is, because it's so spread out, and, and, and there are so many stories that are just in that picture of the, the reason the girl's holding a cell phone is because the kid that had gotten saved didn't want to miss youth group, but he was sick, so we FaceTimed him in for youth group. And the girl holding the cell phone got saved when she grew up in church her whole life because we taught her what the Bible says about being saved and how to tell other people. And in that training, she realized, I've never done this. That's why we need specific ministry to teenagers. Because South Dakota is spread out and that area of the world is spread out. If you include uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana, just those four states, there are 523 towns of less than 1,000 people. Kids are driving a half an hour just to go to school. They only go to school four days a week. They go an hour longer each day so that they have more time to help with the farming stuff and, and, and to, to, to do the cattle stuff. The cattle stuff. That's how much I know about what they're doing out there. Yeah, ranching. There you go. They come in and tell me stories, and I'm like, they're like, if you don't, co- if you don't get covered in in cow stuff, then you had a pretty good day. I'm like, that is, that is, it's just different. And you got these kids that that need this because they need to be able to go out and reach their friends. And that's what we do. We train them to go out and reach their friends. If you go to the next slide, we train them in God's word. That is first and foremost. I want you, we believe, uh, we believe that you, you, as kids, you go to church and you, they have ministries for kids, and it's awesome. They need to learn about God. But you hit those teenage years, that's when you're deciding if it's going to be your faith or your parents' faith. And I hit them in the face with that. Sometimes literally. But I, I look them in the eye and I say, look, you're at the point in your life where you get to choose whether or not you come to church. Are you going to come because your mommy and daddy dragged you by the foot kicking and screaming, or are you going to come because this is going to be important to you and you're going to live your life for Christ? Are you going to do something for Christ? That is the challenge. And we let them talk to their friends about Christ. So everything we do is about training them so that they can learn and they can grow in Christ and they can be that next generation of the church that isn't leaving the church at a 70% rate, but they're on mission for Christ, winning their friends to Christ. They are missionaries. They are in a battle for their generation. The next uh, slide is a girl giving the gospel out to her, to her uh, peers. We had a movie night. They wanted to do something fun. I said, all right, let's have a movie night. I said, how does that fit in with what we're doing because we are on a mission? And they said, we'll invite our unsaved friends. I said, awesome, but I'm not going to get up and be the professional that gives the gospel. One of you is going to do it. One of you is going to do it. It's great English right there. And they looked at me like this. And one of the girls said, I'll do it. And she said, I'm terrified out of my mind. Can you go over it with me? I said, yeah, sure, we'll talk. You can give the meat a whole spiel that you're going to say so that you're ready. Anything I can do to help you out. And she got up in front of her uh, peers and gave her testimony in the gospel. That's a girl that is learning to witness. That is a girl who is talking to people at school. 
you were in the, the Sunday school, you heard some more stories. I don't have time to get into all that in this service. But that is what we're doing. We are unleashing them for the gospel. That is the future of our church. It's all centered around us teaching them the gospel and, and, and telling them, let's go out and do what we're learning. Let's live it out. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But um, if you go to the next one and then they encourage each other, they keep each other in the fight. It's all about them doing the ministry. I'm there to be a safety net and to teach them and to help them do ministry. I'm not there just to minister to them. Yeah, that's going to happen. So what do we do in, in the next slide? Uh, I can reach some kids in some places, but I cannot reach all 523 towns in those four states. So, so why? Why youth ministry in America? What do we do? Well, there are small town churches, if you go to the next slide, all over that part of the world. And they just need help. I have a friend that's in a community of 75 people. There's way more than that in this room right now. The whole community is 75 people. There are two teenagers in the town. There will be a third when his daughter turns 13. And he's like, how do I reach these kids? I can't do what typically you think of as youth ministry. I don't have big events and things like that because you can't have a big event with two people. What do I do? And so I've been able to coach him in witnessing to these kids and how to talk to this young man. And now that one of the two young men, their twin brothers, is coming to church, the other one had some issues and his parents said, hey, let's take him to the pastor because the pastor is going to be able to do more for him than anybody else. Unsaved family. And I've been able to coach him and help him. There are people in these churches that are seeing their teenagers and going, I don't know what to do. How do I help? And that is one of the main things that God has sent us there to do is to train other people in doing youth ministry so that they can train these kids to be unleashed for the gospel of Christ. So if you go to the next slide, how can you help? Pray for us, please. Please pray for us. It is, it is all new. Um, it, it is an interesting ministry in that I don't know that there's a whole lot of other people doing it if there are anybody else. Are anybody else. There you go with the good English again. Pray for us. Guy, uh, uh, your pastor was talking a little bit ago about giving to missions. Give to your church's missions program. I'm asking you to do that, and you say, oh, I'm a missionary. I'm supposed to ask that. I, I'm, I'm asking you as a pastor's kid that has been in church my entire life, that has seen missionary after missionary after missionary come through our church with a desperate need to get to somewhere with the gospel of Christ, and we haven't been able to support them all. There are people, and, and not just me, that are going out all over the place to people that desperately need the gospel of Christ, especially right now with COVID and everything else that's going on in our world, not just our teenagers, but everyone is dealing with fear and, and, and a lack of hope, and they need what we have, a peace that passes all understanding. We talk about it at church, but man, that world out there needs that. And the third thing is participation. That's coming out and, and doing missions trips. And, and if you want, we've got a sheet back there where you can sign up and to get our newsletters to keep track of what's going on so you know what to pray for. And uh, please, I, I would ask you to think about this as, as, as you move forward. As a church, 
one of the things, and I read this, uh, this is not new to me, but a guy said, I think in youth ministry, we've spent so much time training show dogs that we've forgotten that we're supposed to be training hunting dogs. And that is what we're doing. And I can't do it myself. Our ministry, we're, we're unleashing teenagers. We're doing the best we can. Uh, but in that, we're, we, we want to see all these kids come to Christ. So we're, we're working with teenagers to train them. We're working with youth leaders and, and pastors to train them and, and how to reach them. And we're, we work with, uh, um, I've got some youth pastors that I mentor that we're trying to keep in the fight. Because it is a fight for this next generation. So if you would pray for us. Um, and uh, just remember us. Um, I, if you'd open your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter number one. And, and I don't know, as I prayed about, okay, wh- this is the opening Sunday of Missions Month, what do I talk about? And I spent a lot of time wrestling with God on, on what does this look like, what, what do we talk about, and how do we launch this, this uh, month of, of just a missions emphasis. And, and there's so much you can talk about in missions, about the need around the world and, and in what's going on around the world uh, for Christ. And, and you know, the, the, the harvest is plentiful and, and, and the workers are few. And, and, and there's just so much you can talk about in missions. But I want to get into to James 1 and, and just really, we're going to start in verse number 1 and we're going to kind of blast through, through that portion of Scripture because there's literally uh, about a half a year's worth of, of sermons in just that one chapter. But, but I want you to look at something because in my heart here is for the church. We always pray, God, hook us up with churches, send us to places that, that we can minister to. And, and so as we look at this, portion of scripture we look at it verse one says James a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad greetings all right so he's he's saying he's a servant of God and and he's he's preaching to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad and he says in verse uh two he says my brethren he's talking to 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 his Christian brethren and he says look here's what I want you to do I want you to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye might be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let no man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, God just kind of directed me to this portion of scripture, and I I want to take a quick look because when it says, my brother encounter all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, does that sound like our world right now? Are we going through trials? Are we going through troubles? Are we having a rough time? And the Bible says, count it all joy. And and it goes on, and I I just want to look at this because it says, know this... uh, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. What are we doing with the, the opposition that we're being faced with? And I'm speaking as a church, it's awesome. It's awesome to see you opening up and helping feed the community and, 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 and helping people get shots and things like that. I want to speak to you guys individually as Christians, as people of God. What are you doing 
in these temptations? How are you approaching these temptations? Because my fear is so much of church world today in America is the double-minded man that's unstable in all their ways. We're looking at this afraid of what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What if I get this thing? What if somebody I love gets this thing? What, what if somebody I know, excuse me, what if somebody I know dies? What, what, what am I going to do? And God has called us to make a difference. And we look at situations like this, and we, we look at them and go, man, I don't even know what to do here. And we're, we're like a, 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 it says in verse 6, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavers like a wave driven by the sea, uh, or driven, <clears throat> sorry, like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. I got to hit myself with my mouth. And that's us, man. We're wishy-washy. We are all over the place. Why? The Bible says if any, of, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He just said that before he got there. So we look at this as the church and go, hey, what is God doing in the midst of this? And yes, it's scary. And yes, it's crazy. And, and you look all throughout the Bible. Look at the book of Psalms. People are going, God, I don't understand what's happening here. Where do you want me to go? But you are king. You are sovereign. You are not surprised by this. How do you want me to minister in the middle of this? So, so often we, 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 we're, we're, we're all over the place because of what's going on in our world. And we go to church and we say, I love Jesus and I know God's in control of everything and he's all powerful. And then in our lives, that's not what we live so often. Verse 9, it says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but he is rich, uh, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass shall pass away, the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, uh, but with it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of fashion of the, of the fashion of it perishes, so that so also shall the rich man fade away in all his ways. So what do we do as a church? Way too often we exalt the wrong people. Well, they're successful, they're rich, they're whatever. We turn to the government, whoever it may be. We exalt the wrong people. Verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. That's where we need to be, right? Enduring the temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust, has conceived, lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That right there is something we do not like to talk about in churches today, in Christianity today. If you are not right with God, if you are sinning, if, if you're not doing things that you're supposed to do, it is no one else's fault but your own. That's personal responsibility right there. But we blame the government, and we blame the governors, and we blame the, the, the presidents, and we blame the pastors and teachers. Guys, I'm here to remind you this morning that as a Christian, if you are not following God, and if you are not right with God, and if you are not where you need to be with God, it is not your spouses, your kids, your pastor's fault. It is on you and you alone. Because it is our relationship with Christ. And we forget that way too often. That personal responsibility that I need to be growing in Christ. 
And if people can do it, uh, people like Corey Tinboom can, can be growing in Christ and ministering for God in a concentration camp, then we sure as a world can do it in the middle of COVID in Port Charlotte, Florida. It's on us. So we, we do everything we can to avoid um, responsibility. And then verse 19, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I just want to ask you a question to get you thinking. That verse, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If you apply that verse to almost all of your Christian friends on Facebook right now, what would it look like? We're angry at the world, guys. We're alienating people we didn't have to alienate. And I'm not saying don't stand on truth. I'm saying you can tell somebody the truth in love or you can be a jerk. We're not, we, don't, we don't, as Christians, guys, never be afraid of the truth. Tell people the truth. We need more of that in this world. I tell my students all the time, the gospel in and of itself flies in the face of society today. It is, it is offensive enough by itself to the way the world lives. I don't need to make it more offensive. Because people don't want truth all the time. And this is truth. And when you start saying that, that the Bible says that there's only one way to get to heaven and it's through Jesus Christ, not everybody's going to like that. So it says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And this is where we get down to, to we're supposed to put it off. That, filth, that moral filth that defiles you. Uh, the, the superfluity of naughtiness is like an overabundance of wickedness. Things that we should be ashamed of, but we're not. We should be ashamed of how we approach the world sometimes as Christians. Let's just be honest. And we need a revival in the churches in America today and in individual Christians that are going to say, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm going to stop being angry just for anger's sake. And I'm going to start doing something about it. We can look at the next generation and say they don't have a clue about the way politics work and the world works and economic works, and a lot of times they don't. But they don't need to tell somebody how stupid they are, somebody to tell them how stupid they are. They need somebody to teach them biblical principles. Because when you get into biblical principles and you start basing your life on this, it changes everything. So we stop there. We're like, oh man, these are all the things I need to do. And we, we tend to focus in church world on don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But I want to focus on what we are supposed to do in the next, the second half of that verse. It says, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. We talk about revival in church world today. What would happen if we started receiving with meekness the word of God? I want to start there. 
What is meekness? Meekness is not being a chump. Meekness is not being a pushover. Meekness is saying, I'm going to stop fighting God when he just wants what's best for me. I'm going to stop fighting what God says because it doesn't line up with my worldview. I'm going to stop fighting with what the Bible says and what God says because I understand that he knows more than me and he is sovereign and he is in control. That is how we should be receiving God's word. And when we come, and we come to a church that I know for a fact is preaching the gospel, and God gets all over us and gets in our lives and, and gets all up in our business and says, hey, you need to be doing that. Instead of going, no, I don't like it. It's going to change. What if people don't like me? What, what is going to happen here? It's going to change my way of life. It's going to change my job. I might have to move to South Dakota. What is going to happen here? I might have to go back to wherever I'm from that is really cold and is the reason I moved to Florida. Woo, no, don't do that. And we push against God and what God says and what God wants us to do instead of just going, God, just change me, move me. I'll do whatever you want. I'm going to church to expect God to do something in my life and change something. Our world will change, our church will change, and you know what? Our community will change because things will get real. Pastor Dale won't be up here going, hey, guys, just, just need to remind you we need volunteers for this. He'll be going, look, too many people have volunteered. We're trying to find something else for you to do. <laughs> and you'll have people in the church going, I found something to do. I just need people to help me. Let's do this. And at that point, I guarantee you, Pastor Dale's going to be young and fun again because he's going to be going, woo! Some of y'all are like, oh, we're not doing that. I don't want to see that. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> Guys, that is where it's at. This thing of God's word that we study and we look at and we go to is life changing and we say it and we talk about it in church but we don't live like we actually know it and so so what do we do here with this 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 knowledge this idea that, that God's word can get into us and it can change us and and that's one of the reasons I have our students, I have them bring notebooks and pens because I'm like, look, I'm not just up here talking because it's fun. I'm up here talking and teaching you God's word because it's life-changing and it will make all the difference in the world. And we come and we wonder why, hey man, I tried to talk to something about God, but there was no power in my witness. And then we come to church or we, we're in God's word and we're going, oh God, I can do anything but that. Or, who don't step into that area. That's not yours. That's mine. And God is just saying, look, you don't have to be smart or, 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 or talented or good looking to make a difference for him. All you have to do is be willing. Be willing to receive with meekness his word. There's another word in there we're going to look at. We receive with meekness. We don't fight him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to stop fighting you, God. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. And it says the engrafted word of God. When I was a kid, my mind got blown. They, somebody showed me a picture of like a lemon tree that was growing uh, grapefruit or something as well. I'm like, how can two things be growing from a, one tree? And we got any gardeners out here? People that like gardening and stuff? 
you can actually cut the bark of a tree and attach a branch of a different kind of tree to it, and you graft it in, right? And that tree, that branch that's a different type of tree, will start growing because it's got the life flow from the tree. That is the engrafted word of God. We let it become a part of us. We stop fighting him, but it's not just about not fighting him. It's then taking what we're learning and God is giving us and showing us, and it becomes a part of our lives. It's no longer just something I do on Sunday. It's no longer something I just do when I need help and things are really bad. It is something that is a part of my life each and every day. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do what his word says. This isn't about trying harder not to do the wickedness. It's about just submitting yourself, therefore, unto God. And we look in God's word and we see in Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, it says, uh, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And like, yeah, don't do that. That's bad. I don't want to be a scorner. But how do we keep from doing that? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. You wondering what delight means? Delight is the look on that kid's face when you bring out the giant birthday cake. Yeah. Delight is me at a wing place. Right? Delight, you're excited, you can't get enough, you just have to have it, it's so great, you're so excited, you just get, when, when you see it, you're like, ah, it's going to be awesome! Right? That's delight. When is the last time we felt that way about God's word? Unfortunately, in too many of our lives, in too many churches today, God's word is old and dusty and, and we don't care. But then we know the Sunday school answer of, well, yes, we're supposed to live our lives by God's word. We're supposed to obey God's word. Especially the part that says children obey your parents. Growing up, I got that one a lot, let me tell you. Hey, Jesus says you're supposed to obey me. As a little kid, you're like, okay. Guys, and, I, and I'm not here, and I don't. I don't want you to think, I'm not here to, to, to guilt you into anything. So, so much of Christianity is guilt-driven. Well, if you don't do this, you're not a good Christian. It's not what I'm asking you here today. It's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about getting in God's word and loving him and his word and just doing what it says. It really is that simple. See, this is a very very strange missions message. But guys, if we could really get a hold of this concept, then we wouldn't have missionaries that were unfunded. We wouldn't have a shortage of missionaries. Because God would be using each and every one of us to explode his kingdom. The Bible says that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Boiled down, that verse means God wants to blow your mind. 
Whatever you can dream up, he's like, yeah, that's easy. That's nothing. We read God's word and it says, man, 3,000 people got saved. Same Holy Spirit, same God. Why isn't that happening today in America? I would put out that it's because God's, word, God's people aren't receiving with meekness his word. And oh, man, what would happen if we could, if we did if we made a commitment, if Sunshine Baptist Church right here, right now, said each and every one of us, I am going to commit to whatever God shows me, whatever God tells me to do, I'm in. And it doesn't matter how crazy it sounds, it doesn't matter how, how far out it sounds, I'm just going to receive with meekness his word. And I'm going to delight in it. I'm going to be excited about it. I'm not going to go, oh God, I can't believe you're making me go there or do that. I'm going to go, whoa, let's do this. What would it look like? What would Port Charlotte look like? What would this church look like? What are we doing with his word? I'm going to end running out of time here with this illustration. Verse 22. What does he say right after he says receive God's word? He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. We go to Bible study, we can learn a lot. And I heard this illustration recently and I loved it because it was so just visual. We're basically hoarders. Have you seen the show Hoarders? We hoard God's word. And what happens when you got that much stuff in one place? Rats and cockroaches and fires and mold and and we're like, but I got lots of stuff. I know lots of stuff about God's word. I am an awesome Christian. I know all of the Bible stories, not some of some of them, all of them, even the ones most people have never heard of. I went to Awana. I learned all kinds of Bible verses. And those are, look, seriously, learning about God and growing in Christ and, 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 and is, is great. And memorizing Bible verses is something we, that is core to what we do with teenagers. Everybody should be doing it, no matter how old you are. Guys, if we're not learning it to be a, 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 to be a hearer and a doer, then honestly, what are we doing? tell students all the time, if I know somebody's going to punch me in the face, that's great. That's a good thing to know. But if I don't then duck, then I'm a moron. That's about as simple as I know how to put it. We have all this knowledge for life and, and awesomeness from God that he gave us. He cared enough to give us his word that, that, that shows us how to be saved and, 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 every, and talks about every aspect of life and how to reach the world for him. And we go, eh. What are we doing with it? So I look at this and go, man, as a church, we've dropped the ball. And, and I was a football player. I played at Port Charlotte High. Woo, go Pirates. Something in football happens every once in a while. It's called a fumble. Somebody drops the ball. It's a mistake. We mess up. I think as a, as a church, we need a revival in this. We've dropped the ball. When that ball's on the ground, we practice this in practice called a fumble drill. Throws the ball on the ground, and what happens? Everybody goes, ah, I 
that and diving all over it, right? Because you're desperate for that ball. You want that ball back. You'll do anything to get that ball back. To the point of sometimes when the, the refs can't see and you're at the bottom of the pile, you're biting and pinching and breaking fingers and whatever you can do to get that ball back. You'll do anything. You're desperate to get that ball back because it's your ball and you know you need it to accomplish anything. And, and when we drop the ball in this idea of how we approach God's word as a church, God, I pray that we would be a group of people that would say, I'm desperate to get it back and it doesn't matter what it takes. What are we going to do to pick that ball up? We have an opportunity right here, right now. And, and every time I preach, I, I, I probably every time I talk about this. But I'm not just up here telling you fun stuff. I'm up here and I'm giving you a choice. You're hearing God's word. What are you going to do with it? Because you don't just hear it to, for fun knowledge. You're hearing it and now you're faced with a choice. What are you going to do with it? If as a church we could get a hold of this then you know what? It's going to change the next month of missions conference. It's going to change the way we do everything. Because he is that good and there's so much here for us. What are you doing with God's word? How do you approach God's word? How do you feel about God's word? Are you, are you desperate for more? Are you delighting in his word? Or are you a hearer only? Where are we at, church? Let's pray. Lord God, I love you, and I thank you that you are so good to us. God, I thank you that you give us your word. I thank you, God, that, that, that you give us the chance to repent and turn to you, God. I pray that we would put aside all the fear and the craziness and the, and the stuff that is, is so easily besets us, Lord God, and that we would just trust in you. God, we would look at your word and what we're learning and when we come together and learning and when we're in your word, God, that we would just approach you and your word with, God, whatever you have for me, I'll do. I'll live it out. I'll, I'll let it change me. God, that will be desperate to be changed by you and by your word. God, I pray that that would be the mark of this church. And I pray, God, that we would see revival starting here, right here, right now, with, with, with each and every one of us that would reach Port Charlotte and the uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, in your name I pray. Amen.